1800s, there are these firehouses in New York. Fire engines are pulled by men. Really. There is one pandemic, cholera comes, the city is wiped out, and they're forced, the necessity is now the mother of invention, they put horses to pull these engines. 50 years later, the motor engine has already been invented. Now, New York Firehouse is, is sending off its five last five horses to replace them by motors. And the newspapers are flush with headlines saying, this is impossible, the horses will get back, motor engine will dramatically fail. That never happened, right? Uh, people were skeptical of all of these innovations, but they, they moved on to live with it. I think the same thing, the same fate awaits RevOps and any Gen AI consumer. Either you could be threatened by what you do not really understand, or you poke holes into it, try to understand it, evolve with it. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman, coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to Reveal in the Gong Studios, Danny the Rev Wasserman with a really cool episode this week coming to a friend of mine, a Rev Ops brethren coming to us from India. So yes, we have a transcontinental transmission of brilliance coming from former head of RevOps strategy and solutions at RevSure AI. We have Rajesh Patad in the house. What I love so much is that over the years, if not decades, that Rajesh has been in RevOps, what he's telling us to do is to embrace the changes that are inevitable, that are bound to come, especially in all of the hype, in all of the buzz, in all of the mania that is AI right now. And while he's telling us, rather than resist or reject all those changes to embrace them, he is saying that you embrace them with balance, that especially in the case of AI, well, it's neither stealing nor taking you away from work, nor is it absolutely allowing you to take your hands off the wheel. Really, what he's telling us is that facts from AI don't solely drive decision-making. More crucially, in fact, is the complementary nature of storytellers who can connect the dots between the facts that AI is increasingly giving us access to with our ability to also determine how do we stitch all of these various components of the entire tapestry of truth together? Well, data and AI can boost efficiency. Well, it's human involvement that will always play a role in the analogy he uses. And I'm sorry to steal Rajesh your thunder, but for him, technology and AI will always be the Robin to a seller or a RevOps Batman driving leading role. I've said too much. So with that said, it's time for me to put a cork in it and leave you with this. DJ, spin that. Ladies and gents of Reveal, welcome back to this week's episode. Back in the Gong Studios, you've got Danny the Rev Wasserman here talking about all things Rev Intelligence. In the house, we've got a guy that was doing RevOps before RevOps was cool. In the house, we've got a guy that was doing Gen I before we even knew what the hell that was. In the house, I'm going to tell you, we have someone that has, yes, done RevOps, he's done sales ops, he's done CS ops, he's done partner ops, and over that tenure of a career, well before we even knew the phrase, the rise of RevOps, this guy was recognized on LinkedIn as one of the top sales ops voices in that ecosystem, most recently having been at the helm 
as the head of strategy solutions for RevShare, now an advisor and an actual facilitator for those disciples of his. We've got Rajesh Patad coming to us for this week's episode. Rajesh, welcome to Reveal. Thanks, Eddie. Excited to be here. Well, I am thrilled to pick your brain because as I alluded to in your introduction, you were doing RevOps before we gave a shit about RevOps, and now <laughs> we can't escape you guys. So I kind of want to understand in the journey that's taking you to this point where people are seeking out your thought leadership, what were you doing? And then from there, I'd love to segue into what is the intersection between everything you've experienced to date and the tipping point probably in the last, we'll say, maybe 18 to 36 months of Gen I being part and parcel with the profession. So let's start with your background and then transition there. Absolutely. Yeah. I started my career as a business analyst, moved into a sales operations role. Yeah. And to be very honest, Kendrick, this was all accidental. I did not design. I did not yeah. design. It's all fate. Uh, it's all divine calling, which pushed me into operations. So I moved into a sales ops role at a media entertainment organization. And that was my first foray as a .NET engineer trained. I was a technical guy. And then yeah. I'm accidental sales ops guy. And suddenly I'm all numbers, all spreadsheets. And uh, the first three months are pathetic, to be very honest. I mean, someone who's never experienced numbers, does not understand EBITDA, does not understand what conversions, what forecast is. The first three months were tough. And then eventually at the end of four quarters, uh, appreciated the function so much so that I was also the debtors guy for the organization. Right. Wow. And my organization was going through a merger. Uh, and we, in fact, had a written off debt of a multi-million dollar written off debt from the past merger. And... Uh, one of the highlights of that point of my career, which also told me, you know, when you go outside of your day job, people appreciate, go beyond what is told. I basically was able to get like $69,000 of written off debts. And my uh, vice president, who I reported into, he loved that so much. Uh, they, miss, they, they sent me on a flight to meet our MD CEO. So, you know what? He is one of those guys who's went out of their jobs. And that was also a flip in my career. Yeah. They pushed me, they gave me more responsibility. So I eventually then moved from sales ops at media entertainment to an organization, which was telecommunications. And my original job was three member team for a four and a half thousand people vertical. I moved into a new organization, two member team, entire two member team for 800 plus people. So suddenly the responsibilities are, that's also my first experience with Salesforce, yeah. right? And then I start uh, working on Salesforce. The ecosystem opens up. The possibilities open up. Uh, get I get to start getting a little more technical, analytical, right? And then I foray into my first startup. This is this is a cloud communication startup. It's a scratch to scale sales ops, right? And that's my. It's a one member team for the entire two fifty member uh, startup, right? And uh, it's a scratch to scale. That really brings a lot of uncertainties to my work, but also push lot of my boundaries, right? And I think sales ops back then, that's that the point where I really become uh, more technical, more uh, forecasting, right? Until then, it was very transactional, right? A work comes to you, a number comes to you, a QBA comes to you, you're reacting. That's the point I realize I'm, sales ops is like bellboy on the Titanic, right? It's not my job to tell we hit the iceberg. It's my job really to tell there's an iceberg coming. Here are two propositions. We go left, we go right, we avoid that. Like you become appreciative of the facts. Suddenly you feel that, yes, you are a time teller in a data stream, right? You go back and forth. I mean, I don't know if there are fans of Loki on your podcast hearing and you would appreciate how much of the 
destiny could be changed if you are appreciative of the numbers to influence your future. So yes, so I then moved from a cloud communications role to a partner of sales ops, CS ops, which is true RevOps now in a digital adoption. And my most recent stint was at a at an AIB startup, which is building for the RevOps for CROs, CMOs. So yeah, it's 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 nearly a twelve year journey. So in the decades you've been doing this, you've seen a lot of what works well. You've seen yeah. also a lot of things that really suck that could tank an organization. We'll get to that. But one of the things I find fascinating about your journey is this toggling back and forth between sort of learning the craft of operations, but having this inherent technical bend hmm. and why I think about the tech bend that you bring in your pedigree to the equation is we're at this intersection where, okay, you cannot avoid the involvement of AI, specifically generative AI, and anything we're doing now. That is here to stay, and fighting and resisting it is futile. So I'm wondering, when you talk so much about, okay, we want to be predictive. We want to be proactive. I think you called it, you don't want to just be this passive bellboy on the Titanic that reacts. But how do you harmonize what inherently cannot be singularly dictated or predicted by Gen I, but complemented by human intuition. Give us your hot take or your sort of authoritative position on what is that balancing act? A couple of things, right? One, yes, the last 18 months have been super hot with Gen AI. Uh, one quick check, one quick call-up that I want to make is most people tend to uh, be driven by the markets and marketing. What I mean by that? Uh, like a couple of Dreamforce ago, go to any booth, pipeline was the hot take. Everyone had pipeline plastered on their boots. Why? Not everyone really influenced your pipeline, but pipeline is a lead magnet. People want to come to your booths and they might not really be delivering pipeline. And the last Dreamforce and the latest one proved that one. Almost every uh, booth had Gen AI written, right? And probably they don't deliver on that one, but hey, you know what? Marketing said so, it delivers, so what? And if you really peel off a lot of applications that build Gen AI, they really, if this, then that. That is the construct yep. of the algorithm in the backend. Yes, people could argue Gen AI in the backend is a complicated if-else algorithm, but then it is very probabilistic. It learns from its own outcomes and takes that as an input and delivers, right? If I had to say 18 months of amalgamation, if I've learned a thing or two, how Gen AI complements, right? And why some RevOps people are appreciative and some are very defensive, right? Yeah. Two things really stand out. One of them being is our solutions have, I mean, the last few quarters, few years, there have been a platitude of solutions. Suddenly the GTM team feels overwhelmed, right? You know what? Here is a CRM. Go do these four things. Here is a solution for forecasting. This is what you do. Here's a sales engagement solution. Do this. There have been a plethora of learnings, a lot of psychological studies done that every context switch cost affects your teams. The productivity goes down for us. In fact, and there, is, there is a study that tells every time your, let's say my rep basically is filling XYZ on Salesforce and then they have to go to outreach to do XYZ. There is this context switch cost. Of course, at, at that minuscule level, you don't really worry about, but when you start looking at compounding effects of that, good or bad, you start seeing there is so much time lost. Mm -hmm. I think this is where you start seeing Gen AI's finally plugging. In a way, if you see Gen AI does two things really well, there is one, it improvises on what you're doing, right? Or it, it stitches the entire analytical layer, which was not existing for you. Either you are becoming more efficient or it's improving the quality. 
again for, for example a good 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 example to take in here is my previous experience at revshore right mm-hmm. one of the things you start seeing is that there is so much data and it's all in silos let's say cmo wants to really understand this one single question do i invest in dreamforce this year mm. let's say it's two months before dreamforce and they're taking the final call do i buy a booth it's it's a quarter of a million dollar booth do i do do i not right mm-hmm. what are the data points that have for you at best you'd say you know what we actually generated 4000 leads last year so we should do that that means nothing really unless you're able to tie it to revenue and we are starting to see a solution like revshore for that matter there are alternative solutions also which are really tying up all data points saying you know what you did 4000 leads all good but hey you know what none of them right a par- hardly 10% of them translated into late stage negotiation yeah. or hardly 5% of that translated into revenue what what you really trying to do now is there is there is a ui layer of a genii solution where you ask do i invest in a saster this year or not and the solution scripts through it goes through multiple data points to tell you yes you should you invested $1000 and you got in $2000 it was 2x here are the team costs assuming you have that data point for the solution to pick in for the ai to pick in that is the outcome we are trying to really go to but i think most most startups today struggle with the data itself right if if i think one place where genii fails today is the absence of data right most most startups really don't have data they have either they have captured data in a very unstructured format that the ai cannot read into or they have this data that is it's it's not available at all if you never captured who you lost your most significant deal presume you have gong for that for that matter and if gong is is capturing all that information unless you have pushed that to crm which is where you probably have tied up all the information that information is not going to come right when you talk about the biggest issue for most organizations with gen ai is they don't have the data well that is a symptom of another root cause is mm-hmm. that you know disparate siloed <coughs> catalog of data sets is that because we're coming out of an era where everyone bought everything under the sun <laughs> which was also causing as you described the switching cost and the swivel chair effect that was causing a lack of productivity well are we all coming out the other side of this glut in tech purchase and gen ai which is promising to be more predictive it actually can't totally be unleashed until we resolve this other root cause is that a fair conclusion or do you have another hypothesis as to how we got to such a disparate set of data sources that aren't talking to each other that's one of the reasons you're right on the fact that economy was flush with money right uh-huh. so people had money to spend to everyone wanted to be the first one out there irrespective of the cost it took vc sporting money there was flush money everyone did that of course that uh, let me give you an example one of my past experiences this is a post covid era markets are flush with money and yeah. we had nearly a 10 mil arr organization surprise surprise we spent 800000 on gtm tech stack wow makes no sense at this point in time it sounds ridiculous right and the same organization then goes ups and downs struggles and can you believe now now the gtm tech stack as it stands that i understand is $50000 so to 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 validate the point you said yes there was this flush money right yeah. everyone sitting on so much money everyone said you know what go buy this tool this new yeah, yeah, brand yeah. new product 
that is one the second system of course i think has got to do with the operations themselves right mm-hmm. devops as as a tribe uh, I, i take some of that blame as a tribe because it's it's on us really to advise organizations saying what is important what is not most organizations uh, think revops they think you know what start with the project implement crm what do i need next implement uh, plg motion next right you're working really project by project that's not how you typically would work right a two revops would force you know what every single thing i do do i does it touch revenue so much so that in fact uh, if if a, a cro or a founder has to tell me can you introduce these two fields unless i cannot directly or indirectly correlate how that adds to revenue i probably would not do that i'd ask them to justify that there is one reason you saw well, there is this plethora of tools that came then now that you have bought you have a justification to do so you forced your gtm teams your customers really to use them and now we suddenly are in a uh, macroeconomic situation where you're forcing uh, reps to cut down and justifying why they don't require the same people who said you needed it are the same people who say why you don't need it it's a funny situation to be in but it's the reality is that an erosion of your credibility where your whip sign reps were 24 months ago you were saying yeah. use this for this purpose and that for that purpose and we all of a sudden find ourselves juggling 12 applications 24 months goes by yeah. you say what the hell are you doing you only need three things have <laughs> you had to contend with reps kind of looking at you rajesh and be like wtf <laughs> we did go through that situation yes yeah. to be very honest uh, two two outcomes right one of the reasons you see here is a fact this is a fact right i've seen the revops team in india in this subcontinent i've worked with revops leaders in the us and one realization i have is most revops teams still don't have a budget of their own okay i mean revops is amazing you want to sell to revops all good most revops teams still carve out a budget either out of sales or marketing yeah. which okay. means a lot of decision making also rolls down from sales and marketing which means the authority that you thought revops has probably they don't they might not have as much authority and i've i've gone through that phase where i had to buy a couple of solutions because my cr was hell bent he said you know what i need these two solutions no questions yeah. asked right and no matter my justification i have those slacks uh, screenshots i sent justifying why you don't need this and eight months in his fire the applications out right yeah I use that very screenshot saying you know I kept telling and it wouldn't work right at some point you hit that uh, wall you hit that ceiling of decision making authority so yes the, so I've been through that phase but adding that to the uh, very genuine revolution that's happening right in my mind the best solution out there would be ones that are not visible to the gtm they don't have to see that right mm-hmm. all they would care about is will I hit my quota this quarter maybe it's a chatbot and would say yes or it say no you don't have pipe coverage your your emia smb rep you are heavily dependent on inbound the inbound nqls dropped 15 days ago which based on the cycle means in 45 days you step into a new quarter your pipe coverage is going to go down by 2.2x you're not going to hit your quota and then the rep all the rep cares is how do we mitigate this yeah. how do i how do i hit my three things go talk to the cmo increase your nqls because it is inbound heavy try increasing your win rates try increasing your conversion rates right now those are the possibilities that a good genai solution would slide it's going to shadow it's it's like the robin to your batman it cannot be the uh, the entire under the spectrum which it it cannot take your attention from the day job that you're doing it has to complement it has to compound what you do
New tools can help salespeople, but human intuition and validation are still essential. Here's something from Rajesh. AI is here and it's influencing every aspect of business, from data analysis to decision-making. Using AI to analyze data can greatly improve efficiency and quality, but it's equally important to maintain balance with human intuition. A report from McKinsey supports Rajesh's theory, found that 80% of the tasks that AI will automate in the future still require some degree of human oversight or intervention. AI's ongoing limitations is comprehending and reacting to the nuance of human behavior and interaction that will always be a factor alongside technology. There's no foolproof replacement or panacea for human instinct. Let's get back to Rajesh and hear a little bit more about how he advises us on striking that balance. Well, the analogy you talk about is the Batman and Robin, and inherently we have mm-hmm. the superhero with a sidekick. And I appreciate that you are associating Gen AI's role in the equation, not as the leading man or woman, but as the sidekick. So let's presume, cool, we have moved past all of the siloed data issues. We have moved past all of the consternation left from a glut of tech stack that reps are pissed about. And now we're in what is, I think, hopefully what we could describe as the point at which the dust is finally beginning to settle. Mm-hmm. What are the points of friction that when Gen AI appropriately deemed Robin the sidekick is implemented, what is pie in the sky for you, Rajesh, when Gen AI actually does unlock some of those points of friction or those bottlenecks or those gateways mm-hmm. that you, as you describe on your LinkedIn profile, are attempting to mitigate? You want to obliterate the friction. Give us kind of the ideal scenario. Think of this, right? In, in operations, right, there are three pillars you're trying to really build for in RevOps. In my opinion, this is how I look, right? There is one, the data infrastructure layer, right? Which is the entire tech stack. You're re-architecting the CRM, trying to make sure that we know why we lost, what product won, why, what are the reasons, what pricing works, what are the margins, so on and so forth, right? This is also the place where you're capturing, you know, what's the longest monologue of my best winning rep versus the worst, Right? This is also the place where you're trying to see what was the forecast versus actual achievement quarter on quarter. Is there a pattern emerging? That's the data infrastructure, really. Then the second part is the process part, really. Process excellence, right? Think of this way, right? In geopolitics, there's a beautiful word. This, this phrase called no man's land. What that really yeah. means is between two countries, there is a disputed territory. And hence, because of the dispute, it's never uh, developed, Right. And you will see no man's land in 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 a lot of the go-to-market motions. Mm-hmm. Take for example, an SDR at the end of the day is incentivized to create a qualified opportunity, right? And the SDR, let's say I'm a prospect, and the SDR bombards me with reach outs, right? They wish me on my birthday, my anniversary. They say your Japan trip was awesome, Rajesh. I love Kyoto. They might never have been, uh, and I'm like, okay, your solution makes sense. I would love to see a demo. And then there is a radio silence because, hey, SDR was paid to create a qualified op. They created a qualified op and there is a meeting seven days later. And the A only picks from the first meeting. You will you start seeing this is a no man's land. This is also a drop off between the first meeting scheduled by the SDR versus first meeting picked by the A. And you see that between SDR to A handshake, A to CSM handshake. So RevOps also solves for this entire process layer. Right. Mm-hmm. And the third one, of course, is the analysis. This is where you're trying to tell how many MQLs do I require to hit 100 wins in EMEA, Enterprise, APAC, SMB, right? 
all of those. And this is where you start stitching. This is where I start seeing uh, Genia starting to play a role, right? One, of course, is who's looking into all of these data to answer one simple question. Today, if I have to answer this question, if someone comes to me, Rajesh, as a DevOps person, tell me, how many MQLs do I need? I'm an uh, America's enterprise rep. Now, Rajesh has to go to Salesforce, get all the data, right? And probably I'm also putting all of some of this data on spreadsheets, see what our churn looks like, uh, see what my inbound data is, make sure all the inbound that marketing told is actually seeping into my CRM, make sure the MQLs they set are MQLs. Of course, the MQL lead scores keeps changing. Marketing keeps evolving the definition of MQL. Go figure what's the definition of MQLs in each of the cohorts that I'm using. Figure that, right? And then eventually get all this data in one place, put on a spreadsheet and then say, hey, you know what? It takes you, for every deal you close, you require like 17 MQLs, right? That, that, that's an exercise in itself. Now you start seeing a Gen AI solution probably is, an, is a chat interface where I just say, even in fact, I don't have to say, the rep does not have to depend on RevOps. It's a self serve. The rep just asks, how many MQLs do I need? And the solution tells these many MQLs. All they have to care is how many MQLs, how what is my conversion rate? Am I hitting bam, bam, bam? So a good Gen AI solution will start bridging this, this data silos in itself. And right. when you describe the analysis that you just computed for that AE, <laughs> None of that per se is rocket science. It is not yes. as though that is pushing the boundaries of your quantitative competencies. It's yes. just that this is one of maybe hundreds, if not thousands of sellers who have the exact same question. And you, as a single point of failure, do not have the bandwidth to run a thousand unique analyses. The question then becomes, okay, if it's not rocket science, but the Gen AI alternative to Rajesh being this sort mm. of Wizard of Oz, this can do everything that you just described in a self-serve way, does that then actually work you out of a job? Or does someone need to be pulling on the marionette's strings? And that is now actually your new role in RevOps. It has less to do with seller facing or, I don't know, business leader facing stuff. You're purely tinkering with the models that then the leaders in the seller self-serve. Is that the fate of your profession? Potentially, possibly. Let me tell yeah. you this. One of one of one of the things I'm very sure, and I keep telling people I meet in RevOps, right? If you are in the research, a lot of RevOps teams have these hidden um, research folks on the team whose day job is to research the accounts. Yeah. I've seen these teams extension of SDR teams also, right? Now these people should be the most worried. They're going to be out of jobs very soon. That's the yeah. easiest piece of the pie, right? Uh, like Salesforce launched its AI co-pilot, right? They're doing all of that. Zoom Info naturally has their own scoops. It's a natural extension of the job they're doing. Yeah. And the deal test teams. I'm really worried for the deal test teams, right? If you have a checklist to maintain, that's easily replaceable. And a Gen AI solution is, is going to maintain that checklist for, for you. Nobody has to be. So you're right in the way. If whatever is repetitive, whatever was just an, an issue with the bandwidth, I cannot take it. It's just a ticket will be easily replaceable. So what the outcome for me looks like, RevOps teams are going to get smaller and smaller. It cannot be a 10 member team, probably potentially it's just two member team whose day job is one, yes, see the outcomes. One of the things I've seen with uh, early models, data models, Gen AI models, is that the outcome of those models has been faulty because they read in, they tap into wrong data or maybe they're looking at averages and get it wrong, right? Presumably, if you're feeding, it's it's all on how you feed the data, right? 
maybe you're not looking at very specific parameters. There are multiple parameters. Even in forecasting, there are multiple parameters, right? When did the rep log the deal, right? Did they move it timely? What are the stages it is going through? Hey, when did you last change your stages, right? And what is the forecast? What is the internal forecasting to the stage? Is that the actual forecast? Hey, what is the lead score that your demand gen thought and what is actual, right? There could be multiple parameters that someone has to still validate. There is there is going to be a long period of time until Gen AI matures where someone has to validate that the models are correct. We're looking at the right data. Even as it stands, yes, nobody's trusting Gen AI's outcome, right? Hey, what's my average deal score? How many MQLs? It's not that the rep is going to go boom. Okay, 17 MQLs, all I care is 17. No, they're still going to ping a RevOps person, right? Can you validate? Yeah. Can you give me the source? How did we arrive at this, right? So yes, so for the longest period of time, RevOps will have to babysit these models. You have to get technical, you have to hold. It's a chicken and egg problem, right? You could feel you're getting extinct or you could live with it, see new possibilities evolve with it, right? Think of this, right? One of my good examples when I think about this is, is the, the firehouses in New York, right? 1800s, there are these firehouses in New York and uh, the engine, the fire engines are pulled by men really. Practically, it's, it's the men pulling. There is one pandemic, cholera comes, mid 1800s, the city is wiped out. And they're forced and necessity is now the mother of invention. They put horses to pull these engines. Yeah. 50 years later, the motor engine has already been invented. Now New York Firehouse is, is sending off its five last five horses to replace them by motors. And the newspapers are flush with headlines saying, this is impossible. The horses will get back. Motor engine will dramatically fail. All of that. That never happened, right? Now, people were skeptical of all of these innovation, but they, they moved on to live with it, right? Mm-hmm. I think the same thing, the same fate awaits RevOps and any Gen AI consumer. Either you could be threatened by what you do not really understand, or you poke holes into it, try to understand it, evolve with it. I think about right. your description of crisis being the mother of all innovation or invention and either you evolve with it or it steamrolls you and a real life example for me so the producers of this podcast are saying danny do you have a tiktok i'm like no no like i'm in my 30s and why the hell would i ever bother with tiktok and i catch myself saying i'm like what the hell am i doing i gotta get with the program it's here to stay whether i'm participating or not so rather than reluctantly or stubbornly burying my head in the sand, I got to figure out how the hell I put this podcast and my own persona into the medium where the transactions are taking place. So I love your description about if you as a RevOps participant right now are operating from a checklist, that's going to be replaced inevitably. And that's not meant to be a bully or a fear monger, but the writing's on the wall. So it's either a shape up or kind of ship out reckoning. And again, not trying to be cruel or condescending, but why not shape up and learn how to harness how you tune all these Gen AI models so that you remain relevant? Like that is a choice that you can make. And you could also make the choice, well, I want to fiercely hold on to my checklist because that's what I know and that's what I'm comfortable with. And that seems to be, as you pointed out, a, I mean, certifiable mistake. Would you agree with that conclusion? Absolutely. I don't know how many, I, I'm not sure if you watched The Dune. Have you watched the movie The Dune? No. Right. I read the books, right. And uh, Dune basically has the story. I'm not going to give the spoilers away, but there is a spoiler. So if you're, if you're reading the third book, maybe not here the next yeah. 20 seconds. Now Dune has this monster worm in the desert. They show it's a sci-fi, right. 
there's this monster worm and the the desert tribes worship they call it shai hulud right yeah. it's the monster worm but it's it's the god of the desert right eventually you figure that our protagonist right the hero right leto who's is, who has to change the destiny of the planet he chooses to ride the worm right he chooses to become one with the worm now people fear the worm for the longest period of time and then he has this divine intervention right he realizes he has this i mean in a way it's he's kind of a revolts in a way now that i think because he has he has experience of all the past incarnations so he taps into their learnings eventually to come to this conclusion okay i have to become one with the worm so i become the demigod to yeah. change the destiny of the planet so it's in a way that right you could fear the worm you could ride the worm or you could adapt become metamorphosis with the worm you become the demigod right it is funny that you draw this parallel with dune and becoming the worm because i i use this reference all the time in previous episodes but it feels fitting to draw this association before we tap out for the day a enablement leader enablement is far less technical than revops typically we do not come by those things as naturally as you do he talks about well with ai i can harness the power of that in the same way iron man harnesses the power of technology becomes one with the technology mm-hmm. or i can foolishly attempt to resist the machines much in the same way in the beginning in the movie the terminator they mm-hmm. feared it and we all know what happened in the terminator we all know how we mm-hmm. celebrate iron man so i just love that you and i in our own respective movie analogies we have roughly the same conclusion which is we have to become one with it that I don't know, resistance is futile if we think about another Star Wars reference and analogy <laughs> there. Yeah. So I like yeah. that. But looking at the uh, the clock, Rajesh, this has been awesome. And thank you for illuminating for us what goes into RevOps and for our RevOps listeners out there. I really hope you take away all of the sage advice from someone who's been doing this for 20 years across sales, CS, partners, and so forth. So if you've listened to the, uh, the podcast before, Rajesh, you know the last question I'm going to ask, which is this. Well, if you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? A storyteller who could live with rejections day in, day out until they see this day of life. The reason I tell this simply because I I stepped into the shoes of sales in the last year. I took my last stint, which was a little divergence from traditional revops. If you see go-to-market teams are my customers. And I had this revelation where I said to myself, it is one thing to hypothesize behind numbers, tell the sales teams, this is what you should do. But then I also had this realization, maybe the foot soldier who gets shot feels very differently, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why I took the last divergent role where I was sitting with machine learning teams, designing these models, right? Gen AI models, all of that. But I was also doing sales. That was a a non-negotiable on the role that I took. And I realized two things that stood out to me. The product exists. There are competitors out there. What is the differentiator? One, of course, your product could be very massively different, but turns out the way you position it is all in the hands of sales, right? One of the examples I could give from my previous experiences, one of the best sales reps I have worked with, uh, I'm watching again, surprisingly, I was watching this recording on Gong, right? Uh, I'm a new RevOps guy on the floor and I'm trying to learn what the company does. And uh, I'm listening to his Gong call and seeing, and he says this, you know what? Um, I think the lady's name was Jessica. I still remember. Yeah, he said, Jessica, uh, whatever you're seeing on the screen, it's not me typing. 
You see, my hands are up. He, he raises. It's all robotic process automation. It's RPA. The system's doing that. And I see, okay, this is how it's differentiated. By then, I had already seen good 15, 20 videos. And this was the only one that stood out. Everyone was basically explaining. You know what RPA basically means X, Y, Z. This is what goes into the technology. And people are yawning bored. But this guy said, you know, whatever you see, see my hands, they're up. It's magic. It's RPA. It's the system in action, right? So, so that's that's the uh, whole storytelling narrative. But the storytelling as a word has been squeezed out, has been misused so much. People probably feel no more magic when they associate storytelling with sales. But for me, having seen that, yes, it's still a massive differentiator. And uh, rejection, if you can live out day in, day out of rejection, it's in it for you. That's also my experience the last year. Rejection is not for me. So I'm, I can never be a good sales guy. I'd probably yeah. be a good storyteller. But rejection plus storytelling is equal to sales. One of them is, it's, it's not an or condition, it's pure and condition. So yeah. I, I love that answer. And I relate it back to an enablement. We shop around a lot for different sales methodologies, right? There's a host of, whether you're a Sandler shop or a Challenger shop or a corporate vision shop, all of them, if you boil and distill them down to their bare essential components, are espousing the same crap. But what brings them to life when you're in a training where you're arguably hearing the same things you've always heard over and over again, because the shelf life of innovation has been compressed and who is <laughs> actually bringing any original thought leadership anymore that isn't somehow recycled or repackaged from what they've heard before. I don't fault people or begrudge them for doing that. But what elevates a methodology or what elevates a facilitator in a training has everything to do with what you just described. How do they stitch together the story in a way that doesn't force me to have to do backflips to understand where they're at, doesn't give me the inclination to want to poke holes or scrutinize everything they're saying, but that is a craft that comes into our profession that is perhaps trivialized or overlooked. And your ability to simplify what is arguably a complex ecosystem equation into something that's a delightful experience for me to ingest, like you described. I'm not even typing. I'm just waving my hands in front of you. That isn't rocket science, but what brilliance underlined the simplicity of that tactic. So I love that sort of, I don't know, point of dismount for we, the episode. We rejection. all have a learning, right? What is Disneyland or for that matter, Universal Studios raking billions and billions of dollars. In fact, it's known fact Disney does not make as much money from the movies as much from the parks. Parks are, I mean, that's the positive in that PNL. Movies yeah. are, in fact, most of them negative. Right. Simply it's gamification in life. At the, anyone who understands uh, hormones, human body hormones, anyone who gets Danny Kahneman's um, Danny Kahneman Nobel laureate who won prize for his behavioral psychology. Right. Yes. He uh -huh. can rule. People are not going to remember even, even for the podcast. I probably feel most people probably might not remember the entire 60 minutes, but they're going to remember two things. One was the peak moment and the last few minutes that we talked. That is going to be the recency bias they'll carry with. So, yeah. Most salespeople are very good behavioral psychologists, I feel. I agree with that. Well, Rajesh, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks so much for joining the studios. Listeners, if you are hoping to learn from someone who has seen it all, be sure to subscribe to Rajesh, who's frequently posting on LinkedIn, as I mentioned before in the introduction. Here's someone who has been recognized by that form as one of the top voices in sales ops. Rajesh Patad, thanks so much for joining Reveal. Thanks, Ernie. I enjoyed our conversation. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, then head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, well, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.